Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, with you for another episode of The Standard is the Standard. It's the flagship show. Before I welcome in my co-host, Lance Williams, I do want to mention for all the people that are watching live on YouTube, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. We're trying to get our subscriptions up. We want you to pound that subscribe button, hit the like. Uh, the like. We want as many followers as we can on YouTube. If you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, go to YouTube, search BTSC Steelers Radio, and always, anywhere you download your podcast, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us just by searching Steelers and you'll be able to get all of our great podcasting platforms and shows and all that good stuff. So with that said, I bring in my co-host, Lance. Lance, happy St. Patrick's Day, my friend. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you as well. want to wish a happy St. Patty's Day to all the Steeler Nation, and also want to wish a happy St. Patty's Day to my number one favorite St. Patty's Day baby, my mom. I want to wish my mom a very, very happy birthday Due to the fact that St. Patrick's Day is my mom's birthday, St. Patty's Day has always been big in my house. Thus, you see the green, very unique Steeler hat. And I have the uh, the Steagles, green Steagles t-shirt wow. when the uh, during World War II. I don't know if you can see it. When the Steelers yeah. and the Eagles combined to make one football team. So big up to all the St. Patty's Day babies, namely my mom. Big up to all of the Irish and Irish American Steeler fans and big up to everybody on St. Patty's day. May you enjoy the luck of the Irish and a green, but wiser or a Guinness stout. There you go. Be responsible when you do that. Obviously I do want to mention <laughs> one. <laughs> well, I mean, drinking and driving scares me to death, but anyways, um, I do want to mention one new thing about anyone that's watching live on YouTube. We have upgraded our chat to a super chat. Um, I wasn't sure what this was until I got an email from a, uh, a couple of our loyal followers, our loyal viewers that said, you should definitely get super chat because what that does is you can actually, like, there've been people that said, we'd like to throw you guys some money for doing the shows and all that stuff. You can actually utilize the super chat function, which will highlight your comment. We'll keep it, posted at the top of the live chat longer and you do pay any any amount of money it could be 50 cents could be a dollar and it keeps your so if we do a q a on the show your question would stay at the top longer to make sure it gets answered rather than getting washed down from all the other ones so that's a new feature if you want to use that you can i'm not going to push it on anyone we do this because we love it we do it because we love the Steelers, and we do it because we think a lot of fans enjoy hearing nothing but Steelers talk so the last time we were on the show we had a situation where we were right on the cusp of free agency. The new league year was getting ready to start. And I said this on my show last week, my Steelers burning question. I can't stand this legal tampering period that the NFL allows now. It makes the first day of the new league year absolutely stupid. And it's, it's horrible because all these deals get done two days in advance. And then when it, the new league year starts, all you have is, the Steelers tweeting out, did you know that we traded Marcus Gilbert to Arizona? Yeah, we knew that a week ago. <laughs> it's one of those things that's frustrating, but it does take in a lot out of the new league year getting started. But the Steelers were actually active in free agency early this year. The two main additions that they had were first, cornerback Steven Nelson from Kansas City. He signed a three-year contract with the Steelers. And then the second 
signing, which was the day after, was wide receiver Dante Moncrief, who previously played for the Indianapolis Colts, but last year played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He signed a two-year contract with the Steelers. Players that left the Steelers in free agency, the first player to leave was Jesse James. After Jesse James left, obviously Le'Veon Bell signed with the New York Jets. Jesse James went to Detroit, in case you didn't know that. And then lastly, the LJ Fort left the Steelers to go across the Keystone State and play for the Philadelphia Eagles. So all of that said, the Steelers now, they did they did more stuff than just sign Moncrief and Nelson. Okay, a lot of fans might think, ah, oh, they, they didn't do enough. They didn't do enough to actually maybe fill those holes. And that's kind of the headline of this, of the article that, or the article and the show that we're talking about today. But at the same time, they signed, they've already signed Marquise Pouncey, Ramon Foster. They tendered BJ Finney. Um, they even re-signed Anthony Ciccolo and Jordan Berry. Don't get me started on that guy. And they please, also, please, <laughs> please get started. And then they even signed Daniel McCullers to what we found out today was article was written by Simon Chester today. A ridiculously team-friendly deal. But before we get into all that, Lance, what were your thoughts on the additions and the subtractions? We'll go additions first. The signing of what could be it could be the it could be the signings of keeping your own, or it could be bringing in those free agents, Nelson and Moncrief. What were your thoughts? Well, let's start with the ones that they decided to keep. Uh, And we talked about Pouncey and those guys. We talked about on a previous show, but the McCullers. Chicolo, Berries, oh my, those aren't additions. I don't know what those are. You know, I don't know if there's a mathematical term to really describe what those are. I don't know if it's division. I don't know if it's multiplication. But I don't know if any of those guys are worth anything other than, you know, maybe a bag of Fritos, maybe some keto chips or something. I don't know. I mean, those those guys aren't worth anything. Uh, in terms of the Moncrief and the Nelson signings, I think those are solid additions. You know, we'll have to wait and see how good of signings those are. Just from the standpoint of needs, I think they hit right where the Steelers' needs are. I think when you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, going into the 2019 campaign, you need an X receiver. Moncrief has the body and the physical type to do that. 6'2", ran, I believe, a 4'4", at the combine. Big receiver. Big outside the numbers X guy that you think could slot in that role. Also, when you think about the Nelson signing, I was a little bit lazy last week. I've, I've gone through a couple of games with him. I really want to dive into the Steeler game, and I really want to dive into those Patriot games. But you bring in a young up-and-coming corner that's, I think, 25-26. That's going to start alongside Joe Hayden. So I think from a need perspective, when you look at the football team on both sides of the ball, I think wide receiver and corner address two of the biggest needs that they have. I think the one need that they still need to address, maybe they'll do it in free agency or the draft, is the inside linebacker position. So I like what the Steelers have done thus far. I, I The McCullers and, and, and Barry signings are confusing. However, I'm not going to kick them too hard for that. I think the Steelers are have I did, have done a good job of identifying what they need to make this football team better, and they've sought and gone out and got those positions pretty much covered with some of those players that they have acquired. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and we talked about this on our Steelers preview show on Friday or Thursday night that um, I, I like the additions and I like the contract lengths. 
Um, the, the thing about the thing about both of these players, the, the key free agent additions, whether it's Nelson or Moncrief, there's this, not everyone, but there's this growing group of Steeler fans that don't like the signings. And so there's, they're basically finding anything they can and using it again so that they can say, look at this. This is a reason why I don't like this pickup. So they look at Moncrief last season and he played in Jacksonville, and his numbers weren't great. I think he had 688 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Who was his quarterback? Blake Bortles, folks. Probably, if we're talking tiers, he's the very last tier. He's the caboose. Okay, so I'm not going to say anything about him. You go back, and when he had Andrew Luck his first two years in Indianapolis, very good numbers. You then had he had to bounce around and play for guys like Curtis Painter, um, Jacoby Brissett. Those were the quarterbacks his final years in Indy. His numbers went down a little bit. Then he goes to Jacksonville. The numbers go down. So a lot of people view this as, well, this is a guy that's trending the wrong direction. I completely disagree. I think he's a player that if you give him a good quarterback, we've seen Ben Roethlisberger turn guys like this into big-name players, big-producing receivers, I think he'll follow that trend. I like that signing. And then you go to Nelson and people say, well, he was the most targeted cornerback in the National Football League last year. And look at the passer rating when they targeted him and the pass interference calls. Yeah, I mean, he's a physical, physical cornerback. A lot of people compare him to with maybe a little bit more finesse and skill, especially after last year, is an Artie Burns type. He's fast. He can play man press coverage. He's not afraid of contact. He's a very good tackler and good in run support. Um, sometimes he does struggle, though, with the deep ball. I mean, this is this is football in 2019. There's not a lot of cornerbacks on the market that are good in that position. I think that Nelson brings experience. I think he's a player, as Mike Tom would say, his arrow is pointing up. And I think that they got him at just the right time. You know, I, I mentioned this on the last show with Brian and Dave. I talked with Pete Sweeney, who is the editor at Arrowhead Pride, which is the Kansas City Chiefs website. And he gave me a great write-up about Nelson. And he said, essentially, that Nelson has improved each and every year with Kansas City. He got to start last year for the first time on the outside. He's capable of playing both inside and outside. Very versatile, very physical does lead to some defensive pass interference calls, but he's a guy that he had four interceptions. Here's a question that we had on thir uh, on Thursday night. Who was the last Steelers defensive back to have four interceptions in a season, Lance? Do you know? Because I tuned into that show, I think I know. I Maybe I turned it off right when you guys answered it. I'm going to guess Troy Polamalu. Well, he would be a safety, but who's a cornerback? Troy did have Troy was the last defensive back with four, but who was the last cornerback to have four? I'm going to guess Deshae Townsend. You are correct. The last player ever drafted from Alabama for Pittsburgh. So you have I, I look at this and say he gets his hands on the ball. He if you watch film, and I haven't watched a lot, and I know you will. He's he's kind of he's always around the football. When the ball's thrown in his direction, he's getting his hands on the ball. Let's look at it this way. You want to simplify it? Is he better than Cody Sensabaugh? Absolutely. Thumbs up. He's better right. than Artie Burns. <laughs> yeah. He's better than Artie Burns. He's better than Cam Sutton. And, and, and it tells you that's sort of the state of where the Steelers secondary is. But I think people are judging 
that deal unfairly because the Steelers did offer a deal to Roby, uh, but Roby decided to play on a one-year $10 million prove it deal in Houston. So they went out and got tried to cover and tried to go get a player that they thought was better, but I think Nelson is solid. And, and as far as uh, Nelson in terms of the targets, targets are a, a, a weird number. A lot of that's a factor of how good you're your football team is so with the Kansas City Chiefs and the reason that he would have probably been the most targeted it was probably a combination of they thought they that he was susceptible obviously but also Kansas City is playing with leads so you're facing way more targets than you would on a normal football team because Kansas City was playing out in front all season had to abnormally pass the football so some of those targets may be a little bit warped because of that I've looked at him enough to suggest to see that he he has good movement skills, good tackler, gets his head in there, gets his head in the mix. And like Jeff said, he's an upgrade. Yeah, I the, the thing is, is that, like I said, people are going to always pick and choose what they like and don't like. And, and playing defense in the NFL, especially at the cornerback position, is ridiculously tough. And I think they made a good move. Was he their first choice? No. But that doesn't mean that it's it's bad, you know. I think they've done they did their homework. They had three players. I can't remember who the third player was that they were interested in, but they got their guy. And I I really like Moncrief. I've watched an interview with him. I watched his press conference of uh, with the Steelers. Um, he he is a he's what I think they really really needed. And Lance, I, I want you to talk about this a little bit. He's he's big, six two, I think. Fast. He's two twenty, I believe, is his weight. Uh, he's Got good hands. I liked him coming out of Ole Miss. I remember he came to Pittsburgh on a pre-draft visit. They were interested in him then. Um, and I just think that for him coming into this situation without Antonio Brown, I really think that the Steelers' offense can be uh, more not, not more prolific than last year, but they can spread the ball out more. He's a smart player. He'll learn the system. Don't look now, but he did say that Ben Roethlisberger texted him right away. So I, I don't know where the articles are on that, but I mean, everyone else is bashing the hell out of Ben Roethlisberger. What a horrible leader he is reaching out to his new wide receiver, you know? But anyway, <laughs> I think personally that Dante Moncrief, let's add, let me ask you this before I finish my sentence. Who has a bigger impact on this season, Nelson or Moncrief? It's going to be Nelson. I think the Steelers with Ben and with that offensive line and with James Conner and with the Terminator and their ability to run the football and you still have Vance and Juju, I think offensively they're going to be okay. It's a, it's all going to come down to the defensive side of football. And to add to what you were saying about Moncrief, if you're just looking at the average yards per catch, Moncrief, I believe, if I'm looking at the stats now, averaged 13.9 yards per catch. This includes A.B. Juju only had a 12.8 yards per catch. Antonio Brown, 12.5. James Washington averaged 13.6 yards per catch. So already you're bringing in a guy that almost has the largest yards per catch on the football team at the wide receiver position. Jesse James, who's now a Detroit Lion, averaged, interestingly enough, 14.1 yards per catch. And Xavier Grimble averaged 14.3. So... Think about it this way, and I'm going to throw this back to you, Jeff, with this simple question. Who do you think will be the better player for the Steelers, Moncrief or Martavis Bryant? 
Huh. I was interested. That, I was interesting to me that they signed Moncrief to just a two-year deal. I thought they would sign him for three, but for two years, and really that's all Bryant played in Pittsburgh. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Moncrief, and I'm gonna say Moncrief for one reason. I fully expect, and I could be wrong. I could be way off here. I fully expect the Steelers' offense, at least in the passing game, to look totally different than anything that we've seen in the Antonio Brown now is a big time player era. So from 2014 on, Steeler fans are going to have to really go back in time to figure out, okay, what's this going to look like? I think Roethlisberger is just going to be able to deliver the football to the matchup he likes. He's not going to have to worry about force feeding anyone. And say what you want. I know you know the targets from last year for AB were ridiculous. And I feel like Ben Roethlisberger had felt pressure to force the ball to Antonio Brown. You may disagree with me. Listeners may disagree with me, but I stand by that 100%. I feel like Roethlisberger was, he felt that pressure. I've, I've got to get AB his touches or else it's going to, you know, what's going to hit the fan. So because of that, I think Moncrief will have a better production and I think a lot of offensive players are going to have better production. Will Juju Smith-Schuster's numbers in terms of yardage go down? Probably. But at the same time, if more players have more targets, more receptions, it's going to open things up. I think that he'll be the better player. But that's just my answer. What do you think? Speaking about targets, and I think he'll be the better player simply because I think, barring injury, he'll be available. He'll be available and he'll be dependable which are things that were always in question when it came to Martavis Bryant. Speaking of targets, because I have the targets up here, interesting. Juju had 166 targets last year. AB had 168. Let me ask you, Jeff, what two, what other two players on the roster had over 50 targets? Over 50? Are you talking just receivers or any offensive player? Uh, any offensive player. Okay. Uh, over 50. How many were there total? Do you have that? They both had over 70. They had in the 70s, okay. both players. I'll go with Vance McDonald. That's one. And Jesse James. No, it was James Conner. Jesse James, oh, okay. ironically, only had 39 targets. So wow. it's going to be interesting. And I think it leads to, and I, I brought it to bring that up, because I think that leads to what you're saying, Jeff, is that the targets are going to be distributed more evenly. You're going to have yeah. to take out AB's roughly 170 targets and Juju's 166. I think Juju's targets will probably stay around there. But I think, you know, with A.B.'s targets, I think, you know, Vance's may go down a little bit. James Connors may go down a little bit. Uh, and the tight ends, you know, with Grimble or whoever else in Washington may go up. So I think those targets will go to Grimble, they'll go to Washington, and they'll go to Moncrief. And so I think you'll see a much more evenly distributed level of targets. But the one good thing when we were talking about the numbers with average per reception is with Grimble coming back. I mean, the one thing I think people would be surprised is that Grimble, although he only had six receptions, he did average 14.3 yards per reception, which was the greatest for the Steelers. So you have two vertical threats in the seams at the tight end position 
with Vance McDonald and Xavier Grimble. So I agree 100%, Jeff, that the offense is going to look very different next year in the passing game. Uh, yeah, I don't want fans to think that the Steelers are going to all of a sudden fall in love with a two tight end set and they're going to have a fullback out there and they're just going to pound it. Not that they won't. I, If I'm going to imagine what the offense is going to look like, it's going to look a lot like it did last year. It's just going to be that what they do with the ball is going to be a little bit different. They're going to run out of shotgun a lot. They're going to spread them out. They're going to try to run on light boxes and they're going to try to find their matchups. I think Ryan Switzer even could have a bigger year than he did last year. I that's to me without Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell, but more so Antonio Brown. I am really intrigued by what the Steelers are going to do offensively going into next season, because it's going to be drastically different without him there. And so that's all well and good. And we could talk about this at length. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the offense coming up, but I want to get your thoughts on the players that left. So the Steelers lost to the Detroit Lions, Jesse James, as you mentioned. They lost, um, obviously, Le'Veon Bell to the New York Jets, although he had kind of been gone because he sat out 2018. And they lost LJ Ford to the Eagles. So thoughts on those three and finish it up with who do you think is going to be the biggest loss in 2019? Honestly, when I look at the guys that they lost, I, I you know, other than A.B., I don't think that the players they lost are going to have a huge impact. I mean, if if you if you're since you're asking me to pick one, I I would say Fort. I would have rather, uh, I would have hoped that Fort would have stayed as opposed to Chickalo. I understand they tried to keep Fort, but I think he took a deal in Philadelphia for more years. I liked Fort's versatility at the position particularly in dime and nickel packages with his ability to cover. So I thought he was a more versatile linebacker and more adept to play in terms of what the NFL is asking linebackers to do in space with their movement skills. So I think Fort may be somebody that they miss, but overall I, I don't think they're going to miss too many guys other than AB. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Jesse James, good, hey, good, good for you, man. He turned he turned what I viewed as a very mediocre rookie contract into a big deal. Um, he got a lot of money from Detroit and years, and good for him because I would not have paid him that much money. And so the Detroit Lions get a reliable pass catcher, decent blocker, no yards after the catch. We've talked about that before. Um, Le'Veon Bell, who, who knows? I mean, we'll talk about him in a second in terms of the deal that he got, but who knows what he's going to be like? He just sat out an entire season. So they could get a dynamic playmaker. They could get a guy that looks rusty, that isn't in game shape, that maybe will suffer some injuries due to not playing last year. We'll see. I agree with you, though. I think Ford's the biggest loss. I've said it on this show before. He's a, He was a great insurance policy. So, yeah, the Steelers in the NFL draft coming up, they want to target an inside linebacker. If you didn't get one and you still had LJ4 in your roster, you could kind of say, well, we still have Ford, you know, but they don't. And so that's, I don't blame him, by the way, for taking that deal. Three years, I think. He's been a journeyman, probably wants to stay in one place for the rest of his career. So that'll be in Philly. So there you have that. Um, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell a little bit. I know that a lot of people are sick and, si sick and tired of hearing about it, but Lance and I have had some good, we, we've texted each other regularly. I, we've had some good conversations about Le'Veon Bell and, and whether his gamble paid off or not. So Lance, 
why don't you go ahead and you can kind of give your preamble, so to speak, on Le'Veon Bell, the deal that he got with the, the New York Jets compared to what he was reportedly getting offered from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Financially, I think he lost in the deal. I think that, that that's pretty clear. He gave up $14.5 million. Let me go through some of the details with the deal real quickly. Through one year, the Steelers, he with the Steelers deal that they offered last year, he would have made $19.5 million. With the Jets, it's $14.5 million. Through year two with the Steelers, it was $33 million. With the Jets, 26 Through year three with the Steelers deal, $45 million with the Jets, 39 and a half. So financially, he lost in the deal. I think that's clear. I think what he did, and it doesn't make sense to a lot of us because $14.5 million is a lot of money. He essentially paid the injury tax. And he paid the injury tax of $14.5 million to ensure that he would get to the Jets deal. He did not want to risk injury. And he did not want to risk getting injured and having maybe 400 additional touches on his body. Because in the National Football League, running backs are on, it's just diminishing returns the way it is for running backs. As they get closer to 30, their value declines. And when you couple that with what Jeff was talking about, how nobody's going to know how he's going to play outside of a year of football, just taking a year off, what is he going to look like? I mean, those are uncharted water. That's uncharted water for the National Football League. Guys sitting out in their prime, coming back a year later. The league doesn't know how to deal with that from a contractual basis. So I'm not surprised. And we talked about that last year that, you know, he didn't set the market. He basically suppressed the market. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately? And what, and he hasn't done anything lately. So I'm not surprised that the deal was down, but he gambled. I think he lost financially. But I think where he gained was health-wise. You're a trainer, Jeff. You could speak to it. You know, he may not be as explosive. I mean, speak to that as well after a year off. But the one thing you can definitely speak to is he's healthier. I mean, I think any football nicks that he had are gone. And, you know, I don't know what his body's going to look like. I mean, you're more educated in that factor and speak to that for sure, what it'll be like. But, you know, there's a physical price to play to pay football, especially at the running back position. And that's 400 touches, which could potentially be another 325 to 350 hits. You know, th these guys are also running the CTE clock as well and trying to avoid that. So he took the hits off his body. It cost him $14.5 million to do it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that gets me all the time is, you know, he did an interview with Jeremy Fowler of ESPN and talked about how the biggest thing about the Steelers is that they didn't give him enough guaranteed money. Well, guess what was guaranteed? $14.5 million. And I'm not comparing it to my salary or your salary. That's it's, it's a different universe. What I'm saying is that he had $12.1 million in 2017, and he would add $14.5 million in 2018. Do the math. That's a lot of guaranteed money. And then if he would have signed a contract with the Steelers, there would have been guaranteed money there as well. I, I agree with you. He failed. I think he failed altogether. He failed on the fact that he didn't reset the market like he said he wanted to. And he failed financially because he will never get that $14.5 million back. And I, I don't care what anyone says, $14.5 million is $14.5 million. Now, uh, in terms of his health, the one thing, and I've read several reports that GM's execs were very concerned about what he would be like 
after sitting out an entire season. And the one thing I can say that from a trainer's perspective, you can never completely simulate game situations and game speed unless you're actually playing the game. So he could go down to Florida and he could be running in sand. He could be doing his footwork drills. He could have the best trainers in the world working with him, but nothing will really prepare the body for that other than playing. And so I am curious how his body will respond when he actually does start playing again, because will all the nicks and the bumps and the bruises be healed? Absolutely. But at the same time, how do his knees respond? How do his hamstrings respond? How does everything respond to not putting that force, not taking those hits for an entire year? There's just so much unknown. And that's why a lot of teams were not interested in him because who wants to pay that much money for an unknown commodity? I feel like if he would have even showed up last year at week 10 and played just for six weeks, the final six weeks of the season or seven weeks, he at least would have had something on tape, something he would have been able to say, look, I sat out for most of the season but when I came back, man, look, and I guarantee he would have had a better deal. He would have had more suitors and he probably would be sitting in a better situation. But let's also not forget that, uh, I believe Gurley's contract and what's happened to him hurt him as well. Because I now agree. with, with Gurley getting that big max contract and now all of a sudden he has arthritic knees, people are like, wait, this is why we don't pay running back so much money. This is why we don't do it. And it's a perfect example. Yeah, I agree with you right there, Jeff. I definitely agree with your point. And I think you're the first person to really articulate that, that if he had played and performed well last year, all of those questions and uncertainty would have been removed. And if you reduce the games and they didn't end up going to the playoffs, let's say he comes back and they don't go to the playoffs, he doesn't have to go through a playoff grind as well. So he can show the league that he can still play, you know, maybe in about eight to nine games left, and he could still do that. I think that would have worked. But I think ultimately, I think this all, I think where he failed as well was in the court of public opinion. Had he just not said anything, and this goes back to the, yeah, I said it, you know, a couple of episodes again, that silence is golden. If all parties, you know, we talk about the Steelers, we talk about AB, we talk about Lev Bell. If all of the parties have been more silent and have done a lot of this stuff behind closed doors, I think the fan base would have felt very different about both players and about how the Steelers have operated in this offseason. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Le'Veon Bell does. And I know every Steeler fan and Steeler Nation's got that Jet game circled because I know they're going to try to put some hits on that body in that game. They're going to try to take some tax out of his ass in that one. <laughs> well, that that's a game that you can fully expect – the video of Bud Dupree raiding his locker, the comments made, I and mean, those will be headlines, especially up in New York. Uh, that's definitely going to be one to watch. Now, the, the question I have for you now, Lance, is um, looking at the moves that have been made and the players that have been lost, and I, I really feel like the players now at this point, any moves that are made will be completely secondary. There's a lot of people in the live chat talking about Justin Houston and the fact that he's still on the market means that either teams are wary of his health, which he has had two injury-prone seasons back-to-back. -back. Teams are also shying away from his contract request, which is, could be a very high ticket. And the Steelers, unless they restructure Roethlisberger's deal soon, won't have any money to do that. Um, I don't see any huge moves being made left 
in free agency or players leaving in free agency. How do you think what they've brought in and what they've lost, how does it change the team needs that you had? Like if you're listing out the team needs and also as you approach the NFL draft positionally, where are you looking after what we've seen after week one of free agency? The deal they've brought in solid football players. You know, it feels very much like the Noel Day Moore signing. When you bring in a quality football player that no one's excited about, that turns out to be a very good football player. It feels like the Cedric Wilson signing. It feels like that, where you bring a solid football player in that has solid production and becomes a very good football player for the Steelers. I don't know about very good when it comes to Cedric Wilson, but just a solid player. These aren't splash moves. These are brick-and-mortar moves. These are foundational moves that just shore up the foundation of your football team, and it fills some spots and holes. I don't think it changes the needs per se. I think they still in the draft need to go out and get a young, dynamic wide receiver. I still think they need to go out and get a corner because Joe Hayden is getting older, and you need depth position. If it's a free agent, may not be back. Cam Sutton, you have questions there. So I still think they need to go out and get those two position groups. They still need to get an inside linebacker position. They still might need to go get a tight end, go get another safety. I think the needs of the football team are the same. I think it alleviates some of the pressure on the front office to have to solve all of the needs through the draft, knowing that those guys are developmental players. So I think the needs are the same. And I think they've done a good job in trying to address them in free agency. I think the needs are the same, but inside linebacker is the predominant number one, um, in my opinion. Absolutely, you have to get an inside linebacker in the draft. I would totally expect to see the Steelers trade up to get one of the Devons, whether that's Devin Bush. I'm not sure if they'd be willing to give out the capital to go all the way up to get Devin White from LSU. Now, Devin White, if you were to get him, I wouldn't complain if you say we'll give you our first round pick um, a third and a sixth or something like that for him. Absolutely. You do it. You pull the trigger. I think he's that good of a player. He'd probably walk onto the fields of St. Vincent in Latrobe as the starter, but Devin Bush, you might not have to trade as much, but you'll probably have to trade up to get him as well. But I think inside linebacker is at the top of the list. After that, I think you can then sit back as the Steelers and say, we're going to take what comes to us, and that's where you get best player available. You can look at, like you said, cornerback, tight end, definitely wide receiver, um, and then there's a bunch of other positions. You know, that they might be a one to target, maybe a safety. Um, you, you could even look at uh, another tackle. I doubt it. Uh, running back, possibly. They have positional needs, but I think that after inside linebacker, it's BPA, best player available. But inside linebacker, I expect the Steelers to make a move in the draft. I don't disagree, and I think the third and the fifth they got for the A-B trade gives them the ammunition to do that. You know, for me, for my druthers, I would love for them in the second round to go get a young dynamic corner. You know, a young corner that you could eventually develop into a starter as Hayden starts to age, and maybe you pair that guy with Nelson, and that's your starting corners moving forward. I would love to get a corner. Corners are just so vital. International Football League. But when you look at the measurables, man, of Devin Bush and Devin White, it just speaks to just how dominant an athlete Ryan Shazier was and just how difficult it's going to be 
to replace that guy. I mean, you look at the measurables. He was bigger than those two guys. He weighed more. His arms were longer. He ran a faster 40 at 438. Vertical was 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 higher at 42 inches. Longer broad jump, 133 cone, 20 yard shuttle, bench press. Every measurable from Ryan Shazier were better than those two players, Devin Bush and Devin White. And those guys had awesome measurables. So it just shows you just how difficult it will be to replace Ryan Shazier. And big up to the Pittsburgh Steelers organization for paying Ryan Shazier this year. Classy organization. I don't know if all organizations would have done it. Uh, yeah, and they're super smart too. <laughs> Omar Khan, who does the the contracts, you know, they paid Shazier. They gave him all that money up front last year, and everyone's like, "Man, that's that's so nice to them to do that." The reason why they did that because when they moved all his money into a signing bonus, it turned his salary into a veteran minimum, and they knew that his contract was going to toll into this year, and that they, then they wouldn't be paying him nine million dollars this year. They're just paying him $805,000 this year. But think of it, Jeff, this way. Isn't it great when the financial need and the heartstrings of the move intertwine and coincide that you can Absolutely. do the good thing, and it, it is also the smart financial yeah. thing? It's great. Yeah. it's great when they pair up and match up, and it's great for the player and for Ryan Shazier and his family. And, I hope, and I'm pretty sure, knowing the Rooney family, that Shazier will be part of that organization forever. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So. Um, I do want to mention, I do want to get your thoughts because we talked about it on Thursday night, but I, I want to hear what you think about this AFC North division. Because my goodness, and I ran an article that published today around three o'clock is that believe it or not, Vegas sports books, or I guess any sports book now, it doesn't have to be in Vegas anymore. Um, they have the Cleveland Browns as the favorites, the odds on favorite to win the AFC North after all their moves in free agency to bolster their defensive front with Baker Mayfield back signing Kareem Hunt, who's going to be out at first eight games of the, of the regular season due to suspension. But Odell Beckham Jr. Lance, the AFC North is crazy. CJ Mosley leaves. Eric Weddle gets cut. Um, they lose the Darius Smith. Um, who's the other one that they lost? They lost. Oh, Suggs. Suggs goes out to Arizona. AFC North, man. What do you think about this? It's been a shakeup. Who do you think is, is, you know, I know you can't win them on paper, but give your thoughts on the division after week one of free agency. You know, I already came out and said that I thought the Steelers are going to win a division in a Yeah, I Said It podcast. And I'm looking at one critical number when I look at these two teams over the last two years. When you look at the game splits, that's the number 13 and the number nine. And when you combine those, that's the number 22. The Steelers have gotten 22 sacks against the Cleveland Browns in two years. And the other number that stands out is that the Steelers have had over, I believe, over 110 sacks or close to it in the last two years. So what's trending? The Steelers get sacks and they get a whole bunch of sacks against the Browns and they got more sacks against any other team. They got them their most sacks against the Browns in the last two seasons. So unless the Browns can block the Steelers, and we haven't seen any free agent moves in terms of that offensive line, give me the black and gold. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because the one thing that remains going into 2019, Steelers got the better coach. Freddie Kitchens is a rookie. We don't even know how he's going to be as a head coach. They got the better quarterback. 
we all love the swagger of Baker Mayfield and the we fawn over the immaturity in press conferences when he goes after coaches. We love it. The little swagger, him dancing in the videos with his teammates. You know, that's all cute. Ben's better. The offensive line is better. The defense is better. The ownership group is better. The coaching staff is better. So so that sounds like the Steelers are better. Of course, it has to be done on the field, but give me the Pittsburgh Steelers over the Cleveland Browns all day long. Well, what are your thoughts about the Ravens? I'm curious. I mean, the Bengals, they did nothing. I I don't know what they're doing over there, but the but in terms of the Ravens, you lose those defenders, you bring in Earl Thomas, you bring in Mark Ingram as a running back with Lamar Jackson. This is, to me, the Ravens are the wild card. I think the Browns are improving. No one's denying that. The Steelers are the Steelers. Whenever, as long as Roethlisberger's there, I think they're going to be considered to be one or two. But the Ravens, to me, what do you think about that? Lamar Jackson can't hit the side of a barn consistently. Uh, if he, His name would not be William Tell, needless to say. Uh, his aim is not precise. I don't believe that Lamar Jackson can manage a sophisticated NFL passing game. And that's not due to a lack of intelligence by any means. That's due to a lack of physical ability. He just not, he has not shown the ability to manage a highly structured, organized, consistent passing game at the NFL level. You talk about durability and, and the ability to hold up. I don't think he can hold up. I don't think that offense can hold up as it's designed now. Give me the Steelers all day long in the AFC North this year. All right. I, I like that. I, I personally agree with that. I think that the Steelers are a team that I think they're going to be a lot better than people are thinking that they're going to be. Uh, you look at, like you said, the coach, you look at the ownership, you look at everything with the Steelers. It, it's one of those situations where they are the team to beat. I don't care about an Odell Beckham Jr. I don't care about Miles Garrett. A lot of times in the National Football League, if you followed it long enough, you know it. It comes down to the quarterback. And who's the best quarterback in the division? It's not Lamar Jackson. It's not Andy Dalton. It's not Baker Mayfield. Not yet, anyways. It's Ben Roethlisberger, period. So in that aspect, if you're asking me who do I like in the uh, division, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are second in the odds, if you're curious. It went Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, and then 30-1 to odds were the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals are a team that, I don't know, they have so much talent at different positions on their roster. A.J. Green, uh, Joe Mixon. Andy Dalton's not the worst quarterback I've ever seen. And yet, man, they just seem like they seem like they are a giant bungling mess. But they're bottom, they're the bottom feeders right now when you have the odds from the odds book. So there you go. So Lance, to finish up the show here, do you have any final parting comments for our listeners out there? I wanted to touch on a tweet that I put out. And this is a tease to my show that I have coming up. The yeah, I said it show. And the title of that show may be Ben is a great leader. Yeah, I said it. Or, or excuse me, Ben is not a great leader, but I don't care. Or it's going to be Ben is not a great leader, but he wins. Either way, I'll figure out the title. We'll figure out the title by the time 
that comes out later this week. But but it goes to a tweet that a lot of you guys have liked out on Twitter. I've gotten 70 likes on it. And I wrote the following. Why is it so important to most of you that Ben is a great leader? He may or may not be one. In fact, I could care less. It's more important that he remains a great football player. We all have our varying opinions on whether Ben is a great leader. But the one thing that we do know is Ben wins football games. They won a, 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 a ton of football games with Ben. They've won two Super Bowls, and they've gone to a, a third. It's just more important that he remains a great f- football player. And I think Jeff agrees with me on that point. I think Jeff also agrees that leadership is born. You're, there are born leaders, and then that leadership st- now gets cultivated and developed. You're either a leader or you're not. If you're not a leader, don't try to be a leader. And I think there's a mythology around the quarterback having the cape like Superman running out the tunnel and being the great leader and his troops are following him in the battle and they're jumping into the foxhole. I think that's all romantic. I mean, some guys just aren't leaders. And it is what it is. And I don't necessarily care if Ben is a good one. I'm just more concerned whether he remains a great football player, because if he's not playing at a high level and you lose football games, who cares if he's a great leader? And I'm sure there are a bunch of great leaders at the quarterback position. And most of those teams don't go to the playoffs and they don't win and they don't win Super Bowls. So I I think the thing that we all have to think about in Steeler Nation is, is he a great player still? Can he still be a great player? Is he going to continue to improve? He's going to continue to be the best quarterback in the division. Are they going to continue to win games? Leadership is great. Winning is better. Yeah, I I wrote an article today. My letter from the editor article was about Ben, and Mark Cavalli of The Athletic kind of did his own spin on it as well. And that was about Roethlisberger's portrayal in the media being very, very poor and how it's really probably not justified. Um, but with that said, I think that it also comes down to the fact that he, like you said, he wins football games. And I think sometimes people have this preconception of what a quarterback should be. Maybe it's Brett Favre. Maybe it's Peyton Manning and his cerebral approach to the game. Maybe it's Tom Brady and his ability to just kind of always be one step ahead. My, people that want Roethlisberger to be that type of player, where have you been since 2004? That's what I want to know. He hasn't changed. He's not that type of quarterback. Physically, he's not the core. He can read defenses better than when he was a rookie, but he's not the type of quarterback that's going to go out there and is going to change the play 15 times like Peyton Manning would. He's going to trust his own ability and he's going to trust his teammates to get in the right spots. And from a leadership standpoint, I think he's trying. But like you said, Lance, leaders are not someone that you have to be a leader, someone that says, follow me, and people want to follow. People that say, follow me, and they turn around, and they're by themselves, they're not leaders. I'm not saying that's Ben Roethlisberger, but at the same time, I realize that in terms of the grand scheme of leadership and, and the way to go about things, he is who he is. Ben hasn't changed much since his rookie year, folks. Don't expect him to change much. So this year, if he has his radio show, don't be shocked if he says things on the radio show about players. It's just who he is. It's what he does. It's the way he thinks. Might You might not agree with him, but that's there you go. So I agree with you, Lance. He's not a, the best leader. 
It depends on how you view leadership, but I, I agree with you. I don't think he's the best leader, but he's a winner. And that's why ownerships put up with him for so much for, you know, the motorcycle accident, the allegations on two different occasions, the comments in the radio and all that stuff. So there you have it. So, okay. For all those people that have been in the live chat, which has been really, really busy today, I've been keeping an eye on it here and there. Thank you so much for following us live. Uh, it's one of the best features that I found. Um, we use this audio and then take it over to our other podcasting platforms. But for those that are watching live and participate, we, we have a nice little community there. And so if you haven't didn't know that we have that live chat, go to YouTube, subscribe to BTSE Steelers Radio. When we go live, you'll get an email when you subscribe or you'll get a notification on your phone. You can follow, be a part of that community. It's awesome. Also, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com should be your one-stop shop for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. And last but certainly not least, make sure you find our audio. There's five shows a week. Only three of those are on YouTube. So make sure you check out those. One of those is Lance Williams. Lance, what's your what's your uh, your tag at the end of shows? Oh, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. <laughs> what he said. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Standard is a Standard.